0: Welcome to Women and Sport The Long Road Up with host Carol Oglesby. This program explores the historical roots that women's sport has taken in the past half century, from light competition to collegiate, professional, and Olympic sports today. Now, here is your host, Carol Oglesby.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Women and Sport The Long Road Up. I am indeed your host for our 13 shows this summer. My name is Carol Oglesby, and um, I've been around forever, which is why I get to host today. Um, our guests have also some history with a premier women's sport advocacy organization here in the USA, Women's Sports Foundation CEO, Deborah Slainer Larkin, and Senior Director Research for Research and Programs, Dr. Marge Snyder. Uh, Deborah and Marge, you are well known in the women's sports world for your body of work. Some listeners may also have seen uh, brief bios on you in the show promotions, but still, there could be some folks out there who don't know you well. So, um, could you each just take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself briefly? Um, Deborah, how about you go first?
2: Okay, thanks. And Carol, thanks so much for having us on the show. Uh, this is terrific, and we are so glad you've been around forever. You have been a force for uh, the long road up, and appreciate it. Um, I've been around almost as long, (laughs) I guess, starting really in civil rights and then going to sports and and are very involved in women's leadership, gender equity, um, education, caring about girls at risk, Um, doing a stint from 86 to 92 as the executive director of the Women's Sports Foundation, leaving and serving on the President's Council of Physical Fitness and Sport, Um, also serving on the boards of the National Women's Law Center, SUNY Purchase, in education. And um, uh, what can I say? It reminds me of something Mary Carillo would say. She's done so many things that uh, she would interrupt and say, gee, people will think I can't hold a job. So I'm going to start there, stop here, and because um, rather spend more time um, participating in the conversation.
1: Marge? Okay,
2: great. So... First of
3: all, of course, full disclosure, we should have, Carol, since you were my uh, graduate advisor in, in, uh, for my Ph.D. program at Temple University, so, and I made it through, so that's a testament to you, you as much as to me, I think. Um, but I, I think I started working at the Women's Sports Foundation when I was about 12, <laughs> because that, that was the day that I realized that I was never going to be the shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. And there just were no girls out there on the field, and I was like, "What? How come I can't go out there and do that?" So um, I started actually as a as a, uh, co- a high school coach, uh, coaching girls tennis and teaching high school, and then I went on to the college level, uh, where I coached tennis and field hockey and basketball, um, and uh, before having the good fortune to uh, be a, a Around and available at the moment that the Women's Sports Foundation decided they wanted to hire a director of education. So, and again, full disclosure, Deborah Larkin was the person who hired me originally. So that was quite a number of years back, and and while at the Women's Sports Foundation, I've done a number of jobs, um, everything from being the director of education to being the director of communications to being the interim CEO to being... Uh, as I am now uh, serving in the role of uh, the uh, overseeing the research and uh, some of the programs.
1: Well, it's really wonderful to have both of you on. Um, obviously, now you're doing advocacy and administrative leadership work, but you've both been very involved in uh, sport itself. And uh, we always talk a lot about why sport is important for girls and women, all of the things that it teaches in terms of life lessons, uh, could you each just tell a little bit about what you saw as your greatest joys and satisfactions as a performer, and maybe the really important things that you think you gained and learned from sport?
3: Sure. You want, no, I'll go first. Um, uh, I think that way, that, then Deborah doesn't get to name all the things that I was going to name. Uh-huh. So you'll have to come up with some new ones in the interim while I'm talking. Um, you know, I think it was, the first thing that came to mind was just sort of the thrill of learning a new skill, a new physical skill, being able to do something with my body that I couldn't do before, whether it was hit a ball or uh, throw or jump a certain distance or whatever it was. that, that To me, that was always like, wow, I, I can do that. And then getting to execute that, especially in, in competitions, so of seeing that sort of connection. And, um, and then I think, you know, probably playing on a team is right up there for me, that, that uh, sports was my access to new communities. Having uh, been the daughter of a migrant aerospace worker, we, we moved a lot. So uh, because I could play sports, I, I, was, I was able to sort of gain Easier entry into my peer group, and and that was it. Was always something I was really confident that I could do that. Um, so, uh, and that leads to obviously my first sort of strongest lesson from sport. I think is the confidence that it gave me in myself and what I was able to do, and that I, I could accomplish things if I set my mind to it and persevered. And and uh, and then I think also the other thing about sports that I think is really fantastic is. Um, Just the the discipline that it teaches you about, you know, um, if you really want to accomplish a goal, that you're going to have to, you can't just say, I want to accomplish this goal. You're going to have to actually do the work, do the steps, organize yourself, have a plan, and then the joy is when that happens. So I think those are some important things.
2: Thanks, Marge. Made it harder for me, but. Uh, but she did great. cover a I lot of ground there, did she? Some other things. Um, and one that I do want to mirror, and yes, of course, um, agree with everything that you said, but, you know, I'm a Taurus, I'm very earthy, so to be able to connect through sports the power of my body and what it could do, and um, how I could grow, and the strength. Uh, was very important to me, and I, I just loved it. Um, I am a good athlete, and I love to win and um, and I tried to win a lot and did win a lot and, and I loved that, but at the same time and, and I was a leader, very often when you are a, a good athlete you 're picked to be either a coach or a captain. And I was, and I think that's where I learned my first leadership skills, that I recognized, you know, that adage, you're as as good as your weakest link. But I didn't really look at it like that. I really was able to see that everybody had a, a specific skill and a value and that I liked to um, exploit that specific skill or value so that we would be a stronger team. It was as important to me on the sports um, field or court as it was in building friendships. And so it was kind of a blurred line and has continued. It's just as important on and off the field. Um, I think through sports I learned to take risks with guidance and whether with whether that meant in the classroom or trying to find a new job or any endeavor it was that i had that experience on the athletic in the athletic arena that i knew the next day was another day and you just keep getting up and doing it and so i could do that in all areas of life and super important to me is that when you put it, everything out there in sports, that you share a bond with other athletes who do the same thing. And if you don't, and you don't have that experience, you don't quite have that bond. So, so let me say it another way. It, it, knowing what it takes to leave everything on the field, and when you see that in someone else, You do what Marge and I do. We finish each other's sentences, that you, there is a trust already built in, and and that's an enormous gift that I think we give each other in relationships. Um, One other thing is that I participated in both team and individual sports, and liked both for the reasons in team sports, as Marge said, and individual sport because – You know, I was responsible for myself, and that taught me also a lot about myself and what uh, and expectations.
1: Both of you are are touching on um, something I wanted to address with you. Uh, At a certain point, you both uh, transferred from not only being an athlete, but uh, moving into advocacy, working with organizations on. Uh, issues that were relating to women's sport. So, could you describe a little bit about how you made that jump, um, not leaving athletic the athletic performance completely behind, but how did you make the jump to joining organizations to try to do work on behalf of women's sport?
2: Okay, uh, I'll I'll let you think about this, March. I'll maybe I'll go <laughs> first on this one. Um, mine, quite frankly, started at home that uh, my parents were um, advocates, they were civil advocates. My mother, especially in um, in community relations, whether it started in the PTA or the League of Women Voters or did many things um, for civil rights, and my father as well. They really believed in a full participation in... Um, in, in one's community. Um, I also came to adulthood in the 60s and uh, was very much involved in um, the revolution that many people want to see today. I, it's what I wanted to see then and what I continue to want to see. So I was very involved in civil rights and, um, and, then, and then women's rights and know that women's rights are human rights. So that's when I first got got very active, and I'm so lucky to be have been involved in the '60s when I I could.
1: Did I? Or am I supposed to? Very say good, March. March. Now? What were your thoughts? Or is that okay? Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I I think of myself sort of as. Uh, uh, you know, the product of maybe an accidental success. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, when I was small, my, my, I wanted to play softball, so my my father started a softball league for girls. So, you know, he, he made sure I had that opportunity. When I got to college, I wanted to play basketball, and so a friend and I started our, the very first women's basketball team at our college, and I, I just had some success at it, and I thought, wow, this, this, I can make things happen. Uh, and then my my college coach was an early Title IX advocate, and she brought me to meetings and exposed me to how change happens. Uh, and, you know, when you're advocating for things, and I got kind of excited about that. Uh, and then, you know, I think uh, as I became a coach, uh, I just got more involved in um, – Organizations that were related to what I was coaching, say Field Hockey. I was on the sports science committee for the USA Field Hockey. Uh, you know, I, I I began to sort of expand then beyond just women's sports as well, and started doing some work with other organizations. But you know, sports is my primary love, so um, I I I think I have always, uh, as I said before, you know, I wanted to be the shortstop of the Chicago Cubs. So. Um, you know, I think it's
1: in my blood, and I was fortunate that I had some early success at it. Well, let me uh, get us into looking at the Women's Sports Foundation itself. Um, We just have a couple of minutes before a break here. But I'm wondering if you could uh, just give your main ideas about what the major contributions that the Women's Sports Foundation has made over the last 20 or 30 years.
3: Wow, that, 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 how, much, how much time do we have? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we could actually talk about it after the break, too, but okay. this is okay. going to be short. Good. That's good.
2: Well, I mean, as, I- as many of the people know, that we were founded over 40 years ago by Billie Jean King, who founded us to be the collective voice for women in sport. And that was a time when it was to get women in the game because we really were on the sidelines in uh, many areas. It was before Title IX. Um, What Marge can speak about in uh, greater length, but one of the things that separates us from many organizations are our dedication to data-based research that really drives our programs and our advocacy efforts. It informs our advocacy efforts. And it makes us very disciplined in the work that we do. We are outcome-driven, and we take our um, charter very seriously to speak up for girls and women when they don't have the voice to speak up for themselves. So whether that is helping to get more sports in the Olympic Games to really provide access to sport for girls. You know, w- we fight today that many people have the perception that Title IX has done its job. When in 1971, one in 27 girls played high school sports. Today that number is two in five, and that's pretty good. That's 40% of girls, and these are um, this was over 40 years. But our focus is not the two and five, because we also know those are the girls that really come from communities that have resources. Our focus is the three and five, the African-American, Hispanic, and other girls of color who don't have access to sport, don't have, because sport has also become more of a pay-for-play Um, opportunity in many communities, so we are really focused on starting that continuum, getting that uh, girls from their first sports experience opportunities to play, and that's been a a huge part of the Women's Sports Foundation's focus and um, success.
1: Marge, we're going to pick up your response to this important question uh, on the other side of the break. We're going to have a short break here, and uh, when we return, we'll pick up Marge's conclusion to this question and then also look at how it is that women are drawn into sport advocacy careers. So you're listening to women in sport, the long way, the long road up.
0: Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 818 324 2957. That's 818 324 2957. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. (laughs) tuned in to women and sport the long road up to reach carol oglesby or her guest today please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 now back to this week's show
1: welcome back to women and sport the long road up We're talking today with Deborah Larkin and Marge Snyder from the Women's Sports Foundation. And uh, it was just Marge's turn here to talk a little bit about how she sees the major contributions of the Women's Sports Foundation over the time since its founding.
3: Yes, I I certainly agree with everything that uh, Deborah had to say. And, you know, I I think that uh, one of the things that some people don't realize is that Although we were founded by Billie Jean King, and everyone, most people do know who she was, and she's the inspiration for the work that we do. Um, we also have athlete involvement, champion female athlete involvement, just throughout the, running throughout the organization in our governance structure, in our programs, serving as spokespeople. A president is always an athlete. Uh, so, um, you know, athletes, I, I think we've made a home for athletes over time so that they feel like they have some place that they can go to with their concerns, their issues. And we're doing some exciting programs now that I'm sure uh, we'll get to um, uh, later in the show um, that, uh, again, help those athletes um, uh, activate their own leadership out in the world. So I think that's really um, an important thing we've done. And certainly over time we've been a, a voice that has um, – Spoken out for professional women, women athletes uh, opportunities. Uh, and you know, thirty and forty years ago, there was no WNBA. There's no soccer league for women. There, there there's no softball professional softball league for women. There, the, you know, these opportunities that women have now. I think we've been part of the. Um, an important part of um, the reason that they've been able to get these kinds of opportunities. Now, on the downside, of course, that we don't have pay equity in women's sports you know, on the professional level. So there's a lot of work to be done there when you have uh, a, um, you know, WNBA. Kobe Bryant made more in one year in, in 2015 than, than if you added all of the salaries of all of the WNBA players for the season. <laughs> So, so you know, we have a long ways to go in in, in that sport. Uh, male golfers make three times as much as female golfers. So you know, that that that's work to be done there. And certainly, we've been, I think. Um, at the hub, if you will, of a lot of activity where we've been able to bring in to draw in other groups and organizations both in sport and outside of sport if it's been important to our mission uh, to collaborate with them and make what we do um, stronger uh, as we um, are trying to make change. And, you know, you could try to be, do it all by yourself or you can bring in all the groups and organizations that also can have an impact on the work that you're doing. And I think that's been our strategy over over time, and that's worked quite well.
1: Thanks, Marge and Deborah. I I wanted to delve a little bit into your careers, uh, how you perceive uh, and conceptualize your careers in this world of women's sport. Um, Deborah, as you mentioned, you've been very influential in civil rights, especially with the National Women's Law Center. Could you tell us just a little bit about the Margaret Fund and what it has accomplished? Um,
2: Sure. I would love to. And Carol, I'm going to remind you that you helped me conceive of this. It was right after I left the Women's Sports Foundation and was going to... um, Serve on the Law Center board, and I wanted to do something, and we talked it out. My daughter's name is Margaret, so the it's uh it's the Margaret Fund stands for May All Resolve Girls Achieve Real Equity Today, and the purpose was to provide uh, financial and other resources to not just the National Women's Law Center, but For other organizations um, to help make social change. One of the most gratifying parts of that for me with the Law Center was that I started doing work with them on on Title IX and and created a campaign uh, around Title IX, but also was able to help them have the funds and resources to... um, defend several Title IX cases in the Supreme Court. And uh, one of them was Roderick Jackson versus Alabama, and this was a case where a coach stood up for his team, and it, the ruling in the law was that um, you couldn't have retaliation because, because he did this. He lost his job. Um, I had the – another one was Davis versus um, – Atlanta, Georgia, I believe, and this was a case—the first case of student-on-student sexual harassment. Believe it or not, before this case, that there was no case brought to bear when a student was harassing another student, and uh, they just got away with it. And this was a, a horrific case, and where uh, a girl was sitting next to a boy, and he was physically and. Um, Verbally abusing, and the parents went to the teacher and said, "This is terrible. My daughter has gone from being an AIDS student to just starting to get very despondent. Would you at least just change their seats?" They didn't even do that. The National Women's Law Center got involved and took up the case, and um, it resulted in a Supreme Court decision. and um, And the third was being involved in the Lily Ledbetter. Uh, Fair Pay Act, and was fortunate enough to be in, in actually seeing the Supreme Court cases argued, which was, oh my God, is that a thrill? And being in the White House to see um, President Obama sign the other. But what it really taught me, and, and I say quite humbly, is that when we give up our time and ourselves and our money, and it's all relative what you have that you get the greatest gift. I I couldn't, there is nothing that I could have done that gave me um, greater satisfaction and a sense that the contribution will change girls' lives forever. And um, I still get teary about that because they gave me the opportunity to do it, and I did it, and I do it for all girls, for my daughter, And uh, it's just, uh, I encourage everybody to get involved because the rewards are so great.
1: Very good. Very good. I hope everyone will run out and Google uh, the Margaret Fund or somehow or other get all the details. Um, Marge, you began as a high school social studies teacher and then a college professor and coach along the way. You completed a PhD in sports psychology put in a plug for Temple University. Um, how have you put all your academics to use in your work? And the other thing I really want to get to here, has this been a good path for you, and do you have a chance to recommend it to others at times? How, how, how do you feel about that recommendation question?
3: Right. Well, in terms of whether, how I've been able to put my academics to work, I mean, my, the staff usually says that they're sure I'm practicing psychology on them. Uh, and, and that's sort of, you know, if I were to try to draw a direct line, you know, that's the only direct line I can say that, you know, it's not that sport psychology per se has uh, is something I use every day in my work because that's just not true. Um, but I think what I did get from <clears throat> my academic preparation was certainly a very strong knowledge base and uh, it, it, the confidence to know that if I wanted to figure something out, and find an answer to something, I could. So uh, education was always really important to me. Um, you know, my parents put a high premium on it. I always enjoyed that. And, and uh, since sport is really my passion. Um, I was looking for a way to include sport in the work that I might do with my life. And so it was really kind of an exploration, if you will. Um, you know, I was following a passion and, you know, I was working as a high school study, social studies teacher, but I was also coaching the girls' tennis team. I was working as a college professor, but I was coaching the uh, the women's basketball and field hockey and tennis teams at various times. And and then when thinking about going on to get a, a Ph.D., I, I did some more exploration to see what field I might really like. So all of this sort of led me down this path that uh, where I ended up, you know, at, with an opportunity uh, at the Women's Sports Foundation to sort of take my passion and to really apply it to a much larger stage than, um, you know, a coach with, than I could as a coach with 20 players. So I, I was going to have an opportunity, and that was what really excited me about the Women's Sports Foundation. I was going to have an opportunity to sort of work on change at a systemic level you know, incredibly meaningful level, and and that really got my juices flowing. So um, I think, you know, when I talk with young people about their career path, I always remind them that, you know, if I were to go in five-year increments in my career path and you were to look back and ask me five years before that would I say I was doing exactly what I was doing now, and I would have to each time say no <laughs> because I, despite the fact that I've been at the Women's Sports Foundation for a long time, I have done many different jobs at the foundation. So, um, I, you know, I, I think you try not to paint yourself into a box and, and just because you, you walked through one door does not mean that. There aren't a whole bunch of other doors that you could walk through. So um, it it's, it's uh, it certainly has worked for me. It's been interesting and challenging, and um, you know, and and I've gotten to work in an area where I have my where my passion is.
1: Well, both of you have definitely made um, this women's sport work a very large part of your life work. And I want to focus for a few minutes here on barriers for girls and women in sport. Um, over the time that you've been involved, um, starting in perhaps the early 80s, maybe the early 90s, from around the 90s for Marge, um, what, what has happened with barriers? What do you think the barriers are? Are they the same now that they were in the beginning? Um, are the barriers the same but the strategies different? Um, if you will give us your perspective on dealing with the barriers that have come up as you were uh, really devoting your career to um, knocking down the barriers and, and helping girls and women get more involved in sport and physical activity. W- what's happened with the barriers and the strategies to get across?
2: Yeah. That's a great question Carol and, and um for me, it's it's something I've had a chance to think about, having been at the foundation in the '80s, and then now am back. It, it is a question that people ask me, and and I'd start with that. The first challenge was getting in the game and getting a chance to play. As we said, it was one in seven. I mean, one in twenty-seven who played high school sports, and and very few who. Uh, Girls young women, played college sports. So now we're, you know, 3.3 million, and that's good, but we still are only 40%, and so there still are a lot of barriers of uh, having access to sport. The second piece of that is that now that we have Title IX and we have a law that um, protects us, the challenge is we have never fulfilled the promise of Title IX, and while some people say, well, Title IX has done its job, and I think that's really because these are people who look out in the suburbs and in on the media and see young women who and older women who have succeeded, if you really look, you're looking at uh, not women of color, and so that, again, increasing the number of girls and women of of color to play and of disabilities to play is paramount, and that's a barrier we have. A lot of that barrier, and and Marge um, touched on it, is that we aren't giving equal resources, whether those resources are playing time, facilities, equipment. Um, It's also in money in the professional arena, or even scholarships in college, um, the same kind of coaching so we don't have that equality across the board. So as you say, it's, it, some of it is strategy. Some of the issues are the same, um, but it's a little more sophisticated and that we are not in gender equity. An- another area is that we would talk about safety. Back in the 80s, safety really was centered around the quality of equipment. Facilities. Well, today we know safety goes much broader. Um, whether it's safety going to an event or going to a sports program, whether it's safety from sexual harassment, sexual violence, um, under bullying, body image. It's it's gotten much more complicated with that, and and also there are more many more issues around um, sexual orientation and the LGBTQ community, and this is an area that definitely in women's sports there was always conversation about lesbians, but now it's much more broad. And the focus is, and coming around to, we need to focus on diversity, inclusion, gender equity, uh, ethnicity, uh, disability, and, um, and not separate these issues. So gender equity and equity and fairness for all should be one package and not to separate each out.
3: Yeah, I, 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 you know, that's that's that is uh, capturing, you know, probably a couple of the, you know, the most important barriers that still exist. Uh, you know, I would add that there are, uh, you know, the, in some ways, the uh, we're seeing the flip side of a, of a of a coin. Uh, it, it used to be that um, people thought women shouldn't participate in sports or maybe not run the longer distances or go as many sets in tennis as boys and men did because they weren't physically capable of doing that. Uh, And, you know, that has changed so that people accept pretty much that, that girls and women are physically capable of doing it. But one of the missing pieces is that we still don't have appropriate training programs and prevention strategies or sports injuries that, and illnesses that happen to the girls and women when they participate in sports. So a lot more attention has to be um, focused on the research that needs to be done that says, well, uh, why do girls get con- concussions? How can we prevent concussions? Um, why do girls get more ACL injuries? And how do we prevent those ACL injuries? So so there's, there's a lot more work. That has to be done there. That's that the, it's a good thing in the sense that people are paying attention and not saying girls shouldn't participate. But but we need to be asking, well, what is the safest way for them to participate um, medically? Um, another one that Deborah talked uh, touched on, and we've touched on a little bit, is about uh, coaching and, and in terms of women in leadership positions within the coaching ranks. And we we've just completed a study on gender bias and, uh, among coaches in women's sport, collegiate sports and, you know, asking the questions, really, uh, what are the ex- workplace experiences of women coaches versus the workplace experiences of men coaches? Because, and the reason we did this study is because the decline has been so dramatic since uh, the beginning of Title IX, so way back even before that in 1972, and we knew that 90% of all the coaches of women's uh, sports were women and today we have the situation where it's only forty three percent of the coaches of women's sports are women. Only three percent of the coaches of men's sports are women. And so we only have about twenty two percent or so of all of the jobs coaching athletes. Uh, so these are employment opportunities, leadership opportunities and we and these numbers continue to sort of decline. So but that's a huge barrier I think that we have to cross and so we did the study so we could look at whether or not there were things happening inside of the workplace that we could point to that might uh, explain why women were, did not have these positions.
1: And okay, Marge, thank you. I'm gonna, Sorry, I had to break in here. We're going to Take off for a quick break, and uh, don't lose your train on that because I uh, want to hear more about the study that was recently um, released. This is Voice America Empowerment Channel looking at the long road up for women in sport.
0: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 8. 818-324-2957. That's 818-324-2957.
3: Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal, Anne takes her long-running TV show to the Internet talk radio airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you, too, will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Anne Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment you are tuned in to women and sport the long road up to reach carol oglesby or her guest today please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 now back to this week's show Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Dr.
1: Marge Snyder was just talking about a very recent hot off the press uh, release of a research study that was conducted with the Women's Sports Foundation and other partners. So Marge, could you just finish up a little bit about that and tell people how they might um, get into the uh, actually get copies of it?
3: Um, so so some of the findings in the report are that uh, you know there is, in fact, gender bias, and it's associated with the gender of the coach, not the gender of the team. So lots of female coaches do perceive gender bias, while fewer of their male counterparts recognize it. So uh, the bias does seem to be uh, systemic. It's not limited to a few institutions. Um, and just as a couple of examples, um, women... Are much uh, Many, many more women believe it's easier for men to secure high-level jobs, salary increases, promotions, multi-year contracts. Uh, they believe that male coaches are favored over female coaches by management. They fear unfair treatment and retaliation and loss of their jobs as they express Title IX concerns, and they tend not to speak up and voice their opinions uh, outside of their athletic departments. Um, so so those are just a few of the findings and if you'd like to know any of your listeners want to know more uh, you can go to beyond X's and O's dot org and that website will give you all of the the report and all the uh, materials that go with it.
1: Thank you Marge Okay, uh, I'm going to ask the two of you in our last few minutes to move into uh, the dangers of uncharted waters, uh, the future for the foundation and women's sport in general. <laughs> so, so I'm wondering if the, either of you or both of you could comment about the direction for the Women's Sports Foundation right now and the important goals the foundation seeks to accomplish in the future. Where where are we with the present and the future?
2: Well, um I'll start a little with this, and, and I guess I, this brings me back to another question that you asked. One of the things is, when we started in uh, way back when, over 40-something years ago, there were probably five organizations that were in this women's sports space. Now, there are at least 70 or 80, and many people could look at that as competition. Certainly, we're in competition for funding dollars. Or you can look at that as, wow, look at how many allies that we have and how many more people there are to relay the message and how many more opportunities there are for partnerships. These partnerships really are crucial for the foundation, from being with the smallest grassroots organization to being with the President of the United States and in between. What we are trying to do and focus completely on is to have a vision of and messaging that will promote access for girls and women in sport and, um, and develop partnership with major organizations that are thinking big and using the social media and communication and leadership to make sure that we amplify the message of how important sport is. You know, we're very proud of the fact that we have national partners in ESPN, ESPNW, Fox Sports and NBC Sports Group and Gatorade. We were able to put out a press release with those media companies together. And that's almost unheard of that they would want to do this, but they recognize how important women's sports is and their affiliation with the foundation to keep amplifying the message and acknowledge how important women's sports are. And they did this collectively as opposed to just wanting their individual day in the sun. That represents a lot of progress, that represents the future, and how we want to keep um, promoting the work that we do on this on the biggest stages possible.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's really incredibly important because we know, you know, just bringing up another barrier, we know that women only receive about 3.2% of network television coverage and that that number is actually down from 1989, so it's not getting better. So we have to be more creative about how we can bring attention to, um, you know, what needs to happen for girls and women in sports, sharing of information about um, benefits and outcomes that happen when you participate in sports, uh, talking about the great athletes and leaders uh, who are women who are in sports. So we're, we're just going to have to be more creative at that, and that's a really good example, I think, of how the uh, WSF is doing that. Um, I, would, I would add yeah. that... Um, I don't think school sports are going to be the answer. Um, you know, we've, in, the, in the U.S., we, we've relied, uh, our, our system really relies on um, a pipeline of, um, you know, sending kids to high school sports and then from high school sports sending them on to college or out into the world where they might still participate in sports. And I think we've all, often seen that as sort of the... Um, the place where uh, we could really make a big difference, but what we've been seeing in a lot of our more recent research is that uh, in fact, um, we, you know high school sports participation is not growing, and you know there are lots of reasons for that, and sort of probably at the top of the list is funding and um, priority uh, academic priorities at institutions at schools. Um, but not only are we you know we know for example that by twenty twenty, um, if we keep going out on the trend that we're on now, about a quarter of all American high schools won't have any high school sports. So, and those are going to be the and those schools are probably in the places that need them most. They're not in the suburbs, you know. Uh, they're in the you know urban centers and rural areas where they, they need it most. Um, and that this you know we've lost PE and we've lost even lost resource, recess. So we're going to have to be more creative about how, and and I think Deborah's hit it on the head with in terms of collaborations, finding partners who can help us bring sport uh, and access to sport to those who need it most, you know, at the grassroots level.
2: And I'd like to just add one more point. I don't think I could, I don't think Marge or I could say it often enough how important Title IX has been. To this, Without Title IX, there would not have been the opportunities that girls have today and or that girls are going to have tomorrow. We have, since Title IX has been enacted, it's been over 40 years. That means we have two generations of girls who have benefited from Title IX in all of Title IX but in Title IX sports. Now there is research that shows that 94% of women who are in C-suites in corporate America attribute sports participation to their success. And 52% of those women played in college. So that means they played after Title IX was enacted. We are seeing um, a sea change of... Opinion about the value of sport for girls and how it leads to leadership opportunities, and we also know there is plenty of research that shows when you have a diverse group of people who are in decision-making positions, you get better decisions. So it's very important that we get athletes who are proven to be leaders in the position in corporate America and in in, in uh, the professions so that we can make the kind of impact that we need to bring this country further.
1: I know that uh, the foundation, um, as big a player as it is, um, is not, Uh, uh, extensive enough to actually put a lot of programs on the ground, but still there's an amazing um, uh, uh, number of ways that the foundation stimulates programming and and actually gives money to young women that are uh, trying to move up the ladder in sports careers. Could you just give a a taste of what some of the programs and the um, support systems are that the foundation has created?
2: Go ahead, Marge. Okay. start.
3: Um, well, uh, we have, yes, absolutely right. And we, we can't uh, give out enough money to move the needle our, just by ourselves. So uh, we're going to need partners, uh, again, you know, to, uh, to make this happen. But a couple of examples are our travel and training program, which awards uh, travel and training grants to up-and-coming female athletes who have not quite made it to the point where they can perhaps get sponsorship dollars or their national governing body is going to support them. Uh, and so we give them grant a, a grant, a small grant, usually something in the neighborhood of, um, uh, I think, about, uh, up to $3,000 for individuals and up to $10,000 for a team. So um, then we have about a dozen or so uh, recipients this year who are uh, going to be competing in the Rio uh, Olympic and Paralympic Games, so that's very exciting. So they they can really serve as role models for uh, all the young girls out there. And then we have another program that we do called Sports for Life, uh, and that program uh, is for uh, organizations that want to either increase the numbers of girls of color, particularly African-American and Hispanic girls, 11 to 18, to increase their participation opportunities or uh, enhance programming for that subset of girls because we know that those girls are the ones who are the most shut out. They're the have-nots of girls' and women's sports. So we're we're trying to sort of stoke the pipeline, if you will, and um, encourage more uh, programs to uh, offer programming for girls of color.
1: Okay. Now here's a real crystal ball-style question. Um, In the last couple of minutes, for each of you, uh, do you think that the Women's Sports Foundation will complete its mission Um, sometime in the near future. What are your thoughts about when, actually when, girls and women will reach true equality in the sports area? How how will we know that? And is that day at hand or is it a ways off?
2: Um, Most of us know, Carol, unfortunately, that social change, social justice takes an awfully long time. And uh, sport to me is a microcosm of what women face in life everywhere. There's no difference in the gender bias that these coaches are feeling uh, than what professors are feeling who are in the STEM areas. That um, when we stop the discrimination against people, when we stop discrimination against women, we'll be stopping it against um, girls and women trying to participate in sports as well. So we have a long way to go, but I have never been around a tougher, fiercer, smarter, more passionate group of women from every generation, and i am be willing to bet a lot that we will not stop until we do reach equity. And some of the markers are going to be when we've reached that tipping point, whether it's having, um, you know... All girls, it might not be that all girls get to play sports every time, but we will have crossed that tipping point. It's when we really see that the promise of Title IX has been met. When we stop treating our sons and our daughters differently with regard to education, sports, and other opportunities, then we'll have uh, reached our goal. Yeah, I me to, last,
3: me last to word. disagree with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and I, I think I, uh, yeah, I definitely concur that um, it is a, it's a slow process, and every once in a while something happens that really, fortunately, something happens that gets you very excited about what the possibilities are. We saw that in 1996 with all of the uh, U.S. women's teams who did so well at the Olympic Games, and, and we could all point to Title Nine as uh, a reason why in this country since there, there really aren't any other countries that have this sort of a law um, that, that we could get excited about that. And then the WNBA started right after that, and we can get excited about that. And, and uh, you know, we, so we, we, see, we do see some markers, and we, we do see little girls going off to summer camp, you know, for basketball, not giving one thought to the, to the idea that they wouldn't be allowed to do such a thing. Um, and, you know, that's progress, and, you know, I think the movement really becomes, you know, when, when it's a movement, when people really accept um, that, you know, we should have, that equity is the norm, that, that I think, you know, that's going to be a little ways off, but I, I frankly never thought I'd see gay marriage in my lifetime.
1: So, uh, okay, equity is well, the norm. I am hope. We're going to leave use that as our tagline. Our time's fast coming to an end here next week same time same place. We're all going to be talking um, with two renowned experts in the history of women's sports. So be sure to be here as we're traveling the long road up with Women in Sport brought to you by Voice America and the Empowerment Channel. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for listening to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. Please join Carol Oglesby for another edition next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have an amazing week.